Welcome to the Neanderthal Mind, bringing you riveting, educational, humorous, and sometimes serious perspectives on our Neanderthal mind. We dive deep into why what our Neanderthal ancestors did to survive still has a profound effect on our modern mind. Take a journey with us as we roll back the clock millions of years. All right, my fellow cave dwellers, if you're ready, let's get this wheel rolling. Now here's your host and the leader of the pack, Anthony Yokolani. Well, well, welcome back, my cave dweller community, and welcome to any new cave dwellers joining us this week. To the new cave dwellers, we are the Neanderthal Mind, and we welcome you. Thanks to you all for joining me on this episode four of the Neanderthal Mind. Joining us this week, I'm sure she needs no introduction to those that have been enveloped in the Neanderthal world, but for those just stepping into the ocean that is Neanderthals, let's welcome E.A. Meigs. E.A. Meigs has a long and varied career, beginning with working on boats and in the commercial fishing industry, which also includes employment with the Cape Cod Museum of Natural History, Fish and Wildlife Forestry Department, as well as a columnist for Primetime, editor, contributor for Patch.com, and managing editor for the Journal of Asynchronous Learning Network's Online Learning. Megs now owns and operates an independent publishing house called Dreamer Literary Productions, LLC, and is the author of the Dreamer book series, An Ice Age Saga. Book six in that series is currently in production. A second Ice Age themed book series for children will debut in 2021. Megs has two daughters and seven grandchildren. Megs is passionate about history, especially as it pertains to natural history and paleoanthropology, and constantly strives to add to her story of knowledge regarding outdoor life skills. E.A. Megs brings so much info to the conversation that we had to break it up into two episodes. The first episode, we get into a personal conversation with E.A. Megs about her life growing up and what got her into the Neanderthal world. We also start into E.A. Megs' marathon series, The Ice Age World of Dreamers, and how the series has taken over her and leads her down the path the series wants to go for however long the series wants to go. We ended the episode there and we'll pick up next week with what is to come from E.A. Meigs in the next few years. So, cave dwellers, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show, which I believe you will. With that, take us out of here, me. Meg, I appreciate you uh, stopping by to say hi and tell me a little bit about everything. So, I appreciate that. Okay. I want to make sure I got the record button hit, which I do. Okay. Well, let's, so let's, yeah, let's jump into it. So tell me about Meg. I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of interest to tell. I was uh, raised on Cape Cod in the 60s and 70s. It was still a pretty uh, slow place back then. Um, I think the, the town I grew up in had about a thousand people at the time. Um, and uh, it was, a, from my point of view, it was a really nice way to grow up. Um, there were a lot of uh, woods and fields to run around in, and I was walking distance to the beach. In fact, if you cut through the woods behind my house, it uh, took you all the way to the beach. 
and I spent a lot of my time just out there roaming around. Um, there was no TV reception on the Cape back then, so you pretty much had to entertain yourself uh, either outdoors or, um, in my case, very often I was reading or writing. Um, my dad was a commercial fisherman and a backyard boat builder. Um, he was really instrumental in turning out the person I am now. He is a natural teacher and he was my mentor and he spent a lot of time with me teaching me about the outdoors and um, teaching me how to run all the equipment in his wood shop and um, uh, taking me out on his boat. I started crewing with him at the age of eight. Uh, taught me how to drive in his 1954 International when I was 11. Um, you know, it was, was a, it was an interesting way to grow up. I had a lot of extended family around. And in some ways, we were almost like the Waltons and that my grandparents and various aunts and uncles lived with us sometimes. And, uh, and it was great. You know, it, um, having all the extended family around meant that there were a lot of adults to um, spend time with you and teach you things. And because it was such a small town, there weren't a lot of other kids to hang around with um, other than my siblings, which was, which was fine. And I was grateful for them. But um, I considered it uh, a really fantastic childhood. So the, the sea scalloper, what is a sea scalloper? Again, I'm, I don't, I've never lived along the beach. I live, uh, I live along a river, but we don't do much in the way of sea scalloping. So <laughs> what is a sea scalloper? Is that just the name of the boat? Um, no, it's a fishery. Are you familiar with sea scallops at all with eating them? Oh, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, the, um, my dad was a sea scalloper and that meant that he had a dragger, which actually went after the sea scallops themselves. Okay. Um, all right. I see what you're saying now. Okay, by by towing a, a four foot drag along the bottom in a hot spot where there were uh, scallops. Because of course you couldn't just drag anywhere. You had to drag where the scallops were. Sure. Okay. Now I've seen, and I don't know if it was in this one or not, where you had actually gone, gone to school for boat building. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. I actually hated school. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so when it came along to high school, um, I th thought the only way I could possibly get through school was if I went through a vocational school, something that would be um, more of interest because school just bored me to death. Um, so yeah, I went to a vocational school and um, I took boat building and I got my certificate in three years. Um, I had to be able to draft loft and build a boat from scratch to get my certificate. Um, I also got a, a high school diploma. Yeah, so it was, it was good and I actually did use the skills for much of my early career working um, in boat yards and around boats and in the commercial fisheries. Very good. My goodness. That's something that I'm sure a lot of people don't know, huh? You, you actually know how to build boats. That's pretty good. I don't get to use it much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. You never know in the future. If you get bored, you might want to cut down a tree and build a boat or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so the one thing I wanted to ask you was you were, you worked at the Museum of Natural History at eight years old. Is that correct? Yes, from the ages of eight to 12, I, um, I had a real job there. I was, you know, a real paid job, yes. And it was, um, it again was just really instrumental in uh, making me the person I am. The uh, naturalists who were employed by the museum really took me under their wing and spent a lot of time with me, teaching me things. Um, 
they also had the absolutely fantastic natural history library there. And um, even though I was um, at times supposed to be working in the library, if that was included in my duties that particular day, it was awfully tempting to look at the books or pick out books to take home to read later. Yeah, you know, there's there's nothing like a, like a, an old library. I used to love going to the library as well and just sitting down and reading, you know, no no distractions or anything. It's 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 just not like that anymore, unfortunately. But we adapt and you know we overcome. It's just the way it is That's now. That's right. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. So a lot of the um, you said you were fortunate enough to know and work with a, a lot of the uh, well well known naturalists, uh, uh, John Hay, Robert Finch. Bob Prescott, Donald Shaw, and Sandy Laird. So basically, yes. what were they, what was the naturalists' responsibilities? Well, other than um, running the museum's operations, they also did field work there. The museum was surrounded by conservation land, and so they always had projects going on, and parts of the museum were displays that included live animals and in some cases rescued animals. For example, there was an owl that had been hit by a car and lost a wing. So this great horned owl was a resident at the museum and uh, part of my job was helping care for this owl. And there were numerous other animals that came and went over the years. My goodness, you can you can basically write a whole new series on just what you were able to do in your, in your young life. Huh? That's, that's pretty... It's pretty awesome to be able to, to say you were able to do those things. Especially at such a young age. Yeah. Um, I, I looked and acted a lot older than I was. Sometimes people were surprised to find out how old I was. Uh, several times when I was 11, people thought I was my father's wife <laughs> just because <laughs> I looked old. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> so I, I guess if there's a benefit to looking older than you are, it's that you get a lot of opportunities that a, a kid might not get. <laughs> <laughs> I should add, my father was always greatly insulted when that happened because, of course, he knew I was 11 years old. But right. <laughs> didn't say much for him in his mind. Oh, my. Well, that's, that's, that's good, too. That's pretty awesome. I'll have to look, look those names up. I think you included a link with what you sent me. So I'll yes, have to I look them up. Links, yes. Uh, and I, I noticed one, one section, too. You, we were talking about how you, you worked in... Uh, newspapers and I, I just thought maybe you know you, you got out of it just because it wasn't for you but uh, that's not the case huh? You, did you enjoy working with newspapers magazines? Oh I enjoy anything that involves the written word and involves research and very often um, it did involve a lot of research but um, as I think I mentioned because of competition from online media um, newspapers and other periodicals have just have had to really slash their their payroll um, um, just because the competition is so so tough nowadays sure yeah some of the downfalls I guess in a sense of of uh, the internet you know I mean it's part of part of life now but uh, it, it definitely took away a lot of the the, the print papers and magazines so there's still yes, quite a few absolutely. hanging on though but uh, you you had something to do with and I'm probably going to say it wrong, asynchronous learning or asynchronous? That's pretty close, asynchronous learning, asynchronous. yes. Asynchronous, <laughs> okay, asynchronous. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, I was managing editor of um, an academic journal. Asynchronous, I, I don't and think I've ever heard of that word, honestly. What is that? Was that the name of the company or is that an actual word? 
Um, no, that's an that's an actual word, and you know, um, the they eventually simplified the title of the journal to online learning. It's a lot easier to say than asynchronous. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so then, some of the things that you were that, that was covered was, uh, and again, probably messed these words up. Archaeotronomy. Archaeotronomy. What? Go ahead. Well, that's my lousy spelling. I'm sorry. Oh no! Oh, okay. <laughs> no, that's um, I listed a couple of MOOCs that I've been taking as part of my research, and one of the things, uh, in fact, this is a course I'm currently taking now, is in archaeoastronomy. Astronomy. Okay, that's what I was like. Well, maybe yeah, like maybe said, it was supposed to be astronomy. Okay. Yes, it was. <laughs> okay. Well, I apologize My, my copy for that. earned your money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mentioned MOOCs. The- Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. And um, I've completed a course in... Uh, osteoarchaeology. Okay. <laughs> so then what is, so first off, let's go with MOOCs, M-O-O-C, Massive Online Open Courses. So yes. that's, okay. All right. Just in case, whenever you, you had mentioned the word MOOCs, and I just wanted to clarify what that stood for. So, right. So then what does archaeoastronomy cover? Just the, the, the uh, ancient astronomy, the, the, basically yes, the it, universe? <laughs> it, it covers how ancient people use the sun, the moon, and the stars in their lives. Oh, okay. Very good. Well, that sounds like a pretty interesting topic for me, actually. Yes. Well, I've always been interested in it. Uh, again, going back to my dad being a commercial fisherman, and uh, he actually had a, a hundred ton captain's license. Um, he knew a lot about celestial navigation and very often he would point out things to me in the nighttime sky and about how it was used for celestial navigation and how ancient people used it for celestial navigation. And gosh, I've forgotten an awful lot of it. (laughs) So it's uh, interesting to take this course and um, be reminded of a lot of the things that he taught me. Yeah, no, that, and like I said, that, that's really something that I think I would be interested in as well. So I'll have to look into that. Now, so then what do, what does osteoarchaeology cover? It covers the study of um, how archaeologists would look at uh, skeletal remains or fossilized skeletal remains to determine who the people were. Um, those remains belong to, sorry, I'm probably not terming this. Um, oh, no, that's, yeah, no, that's okay. I, 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 I Get the word now. Osteo is like, uh, is there like some kind of osteoarthritis or something like that? Yeah, bones. Okay, all right, very good. Right, right, right. Yes, yes. The study of bones, I guess, from an archaeological point of view. I didn't even connect that word to bones for some reason, but hey, I guess because it's got archaeology at the end of it, kind of threw me off. But <laughs> right, right. No, I hadn't heard of the term before either. So, but you study the archaeoastronomy, and that's just online. You say it's the University of Milan, Italy. You've never been to Italy, though, right? Yes. No, I've n- I would love to go someday, <laughs> but I've never been there. Me as well. <laughs> My ancestors are from Italy, and I would love to go there. So, anyway, I digress. <laughs> so, 10 years old, you wrote your first full-length novel, and, and, and again, my uh, ignorance towards it, I wasn't sure what designated a uh, full full length novel uh, and but you had filled me in on that so let's let's talk about that at 10 years old huh yes yes i've been a compulsive writer from from childhood i'm i'm a slave to it i have no choice <laughs> <laughs> story pops in my head and it has to come out and like i say i'm a, i'm an absolute slave to it till it gets out and you can just imagine the book series i'm working on now 
um, having first um, conceived it in about February of 2015 and carrying it that long, it's, it's uh, a very noisy presence in my head and it definitely wants to come out. Now, do you still have that full-length novel from, from uh, at the age of 10? Do you still hold on to that or has it been lost in, in, in transitions or whatever? Um, because I wrote so much, the stories that I wrote weren't necessarily of great value to me. That one I had actually submitted to a teacher at school who suggested I write it into a play and it was actually produced into a, a play that was presented in front of the entire school. Um, but um, I probably threw it away just because well, it's just another story. <laughs> now, what I've was burned that? boxes of manuscripts. Now, do you remember the title of that, uh, that that first novel you wrote? I believe it was The Voyage of the Eagle, but I can't be positive. Sure. No, no, that's okay. A very long oh. time ago. <laughs> no, no, and I didn't want to throw you on the spot like that. <laughs> it's just, it just interests no me if you, you know, to, to see if, you know, authors hold on to, to things from that age. But uh, I guess if you don't know you're going to be an author, it's kind of hard to hold on to those things. But, uh, and you may have I at don't. that age an author but frankly a lot of the stuff I wrote just was trash like I said I have burned boxes and boxes and boxes of manuscripts just because I didn't think they were any good I just didn't think it was of value and worth keeping now so you own uh, dreamer literary productions yes yes I started my own publishing house okay so now did you start that when you started your dreamer series is that when you started the production or yes. was, oh, okay Yes. So then w- would that when make I... you self-published or no with, with the Dreamer series? Yes. Oh, okay. Very good. Well, I'll let you, if you want to get into that, yeah, let's, let's talk about, uh, well, let's, let's talk about your production company. Uh, obviously it's, well, not obviously. Um, is it more just for you or have you produced many other literary books or whatever you want whatever you want to say on that? I would consider working with other authors if I had time. I've been approached by some other authors to um, work with them on publishing their books. But right now, while I have a, a day job and I've got to um, manage all the operations of a publishing house, all the marketing and promotion and write the material and do all the uh, book design and illustrations and um Uh, there's just an incredible amount of editing that's involved before it goes to the professional copy editor and then it comes back and I look at all her um, suggested edits and do more editing and then it goes to a proofreader and it gets edited some more. It's uh, an awful lot of work and while I still have a day job I just don't have enough uh, time in my schedule to work on a work with other authors but i would be open to it in the future because my good. schedule right so hectic sure no absolutely yeah i can i can understand that so um the dreamer series huh that's uh that that is your your baby now well i guess at this point it's almost a full-grown <laughs> full-grown child for you i guess right yes, <laughs> yes i thought it was going to be one book and I started writing, and when I got to the end of what turned out to be the first book, I realized, geez, I thought this would be a chapter of one book, and that's when I decided I'd better break it down into separate books, otherwise it would be just a a very ponderous tome (laughs) by the time it was done. 
Well, even even as as they are broken down now, they're still what three hundred plus pages each one. So that's still pretty big. Yeah, yeah. They're they're each book is a full length novel. Amazing. <laughs> you have five out, right? Five published already, yes. correct? Okay. Yes, I right. So then Which six is in. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I sent you, and I sent you kind of a a little of a joke. The Dreamer Six. When does the madness stop? You know, just kidding with you. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it just it it just wants to keep going, huh? Well, you're probably not the only one who's wondering when the madness stops. <laughs> uh, but uh, from the the time the series was conceived, um, you know, I knew what happened. I know how it ends, and I've just got to get it to the point where it's it's done and i'm i'm guessing it's going to be about six i mean 10 books when it's completed my goodness (laughs) so whenever you first set out it was only supposed to be one is that is that what you said one i thought it was going to be one book yes i i you know i had the story in my head and i thought it was going to be one book so here we are i know Four years later. So let's talk about the launch, the launch date, if you wanted to. I know there's some significance with that. Why you waited? Yes, it was my, um, my mother's birthday. And um, my mother was always uh, one of my biggest cheerleaders when it came to writing. And um, my mother passed away 10 years ago. So it was important for me. I actually held off a little bit on launching the first book. Um, till her birthday so that I could do it in, um, in honor of her. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure she's very proud <laughs> that you had waited for, for that launch date. That's, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. That's, that's fantastic. I like that. Well, so again, we touched a little bit on the dreamer six. Um, what, uh, when are you looking to have that book out and ready to go? Um, next summer, summer okay. 2021. Now, are you going to continue if the story wants to continue past 10 books? Oh, boy, I've been asked that. Um, <laughs> I I have thought about if I was going to extend it, if the if people weren't tired of reading the books yet, and if, um, and if I still have uh, enough mental capacity <laughs> at that point, considering I'm getting older, it's a possibility. Hey, you just, you got to go where it takes you. I, I I get that. If it's if it's in your head, you got to get it out there. You know, so just let it take you where it wants. <laughs> right. Well, the first, you know, the the series I'm working on now uh, follows the life of uh, one particular character. So I've thought that a, a possible uh, extend extension of the steer, series might um, go on to the second generation. But again. Um, I don't have, I, I just don't have anything yet, so I can't say, and you know, who knows uh, where I'll be at at that point in life, but it's, it's a possibility. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and after I asked you the question that, that, that what we're about to go into now, I guess I realized that it would be a little difficult, but I'd asked you just to give a little, just a Cliff Notes version of each book. That way, uh, you know, anyone out there that's interested in purchasing the series has a, a relative idea of what they're about without giving, an, without, uh, giving out any spoilers. <laughs> As you had said, it'd be hard to do without that, so... <laughs> Right, right. Even, um, I mean, sometimes I'll be contacted by a person in the media who wants me to answer a similar question, and it is hard to to do without spoilers. So, 
it looks like uh, from what you had sent me, it seems like it's pretty good without without giving into uh, any spoilers. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, if it's something that you don't want to spoil for anyone, that's fine. We can we can skip that one, and it's up to you. Well, you've got my notes. I mean, I I can basically uh, give a rundown of my notes if you think it's of interest. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I I think it would be yes. Okay. So, All so right. book, well, book, one, uh, book one starts out the adventure, right? Right, right. That's the, the dream of the beginning. And it um, introduces all the characters, especially the main character, Triss, and how the dreams uh, figure into the storyline. And it basically sets the scene being the Ice Age Europe um, so that readers become familiar with the background and it um, starts the adventure. I like in the beginning of each book how you have like a kind of a quick rundown on, uh, you know, w what was going on, at least from archaeological, archaeological finds, what was going on, you know, during the time that you wrote this book, you give a, a good rundown. So, and they're taking place 30, 40,000 years ago, somewhere around there. Is that, is that correct? A approximately 40,000 years ago. Right. Yes. And uh, since a lot of people aren't really familiar with that time period, I thought just a, a real quick introduction to the time period and to the uh, people who were um, in Europe during that time period at that time so that they understand the uh, story a little better. So book one introduces the character and his dreams and like you said sets the scene so book number two if there's anything you can give on that. Uh, sure that's uh, the number two the gathering and um that's when the character he's starting to get a little older he's um discovering uh, a lot more about uh the world around him more specifically the uh the various people who are coming into their lives as the the so-called modern humans um begin to come into europe and uh the conflict that ensues See, that's that's pretty good. I like those. Those are good cliff notes. It kind of draws them in and, and you know, now they're they're going to want to go and get some more information on that. So let's go on to uh, book number three. Now, so is there a timeline for book two? Probably, I, I mean, obviously it's, we can't go into ooh, 10 years later because that's 40,000 years ago. So maybe we'll just skip that. <laughs> we'll skip that. So <laughs> <laughs> let's go to book number three. <laughs> Book number three, uh, The Dreamer Three, The People of the Wolves. Um, again, the, uh, the, the story carries on. Uh, and um, at this point, um, the Denisovans come on the scene and um, they enter the story as a, sort of a, a group of exiled um, misfit adventurers who they just happen upon. And uh, because the Denisovans were so far away, obviously they can't communicate, they don't share a language, but they do eventually get to know each other a little bit. And um, the leader of the group is, uh, uh, um, I should say the leader of the Denisovans is a kind of a character and um, he develops a crush on the main character's sister. So there's some very good, yes. There's a drama going on there. <laughs> Bringing up the, the, the Nisavans. Now, so will your, or does your story evolve as more 
uh, I guess, real time, real time discoveries happen? Like, uh, was book three going to be based on the Denisovans or did that come about? And I can't remember how long ago the, the Denisovans were discovered, but uh, this was... Um, the Denisova cave was discovered approximately 10 years ago. Okay. And the, uh, the uh, fossilized remains of the Denisovans, which I believe was just a, a part of a little finger <laughs> was yeah. discovered. Yes, yes, I read that. A few more things. They really don't have a whole lot to go on at this point, but they had done a DNA analysis at that point. So it was known that the, um, at least that one Denisovan individual, that she was um, dark haired, dark skinned and dark eyes. Dark, and um, also that it must've been a person with a fairly sturdy build like a Neanderthal. So, um, so I had a little bit to go on with the Denisovans, but not, not a lot, <laughs> but it's, Part of the fun, you know, you get to fill in the gaps. It's amazing that they can gather all that information out of just one. It's almost like a just a knuckle bone, right? I mean, it's not even, well, I guess your knuckles aren't really bones, but it's just a real little finger bone. <laughs> they were right, able to. Right. Uh, so number four, let's, uh, let's touch a little bit on number four. Okay, number four, uh, the Dreamer Four, the Cave of Bones, um, is actually based on a, a real place, a real cave in Belgium, and based on the uh, fossilized discoveries that were found in that cave. Again, I don't want to. No, don't give spoil. Any <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's good. Yeah, it involved the Cave of the Bones, which is a real place in Belgium. Uh, if they need yeah. any, any more information, they'll get the book, they'll download it, buy it, and they can read it themselves. <laughs> right. uh, so the current final book of this, not final, but the, but the, the current last book Most of the series? Released. Yes, that's, yes. That, that'll work. <laughs> book number five. Yes, uh, The Dreamer Five, The Blood Red Skies. Um, much of that takes place on the coast since the Neanderthals were, were known to have spent time on the coast where they harvested um, a lot of uh, seals and shellfish and fish in general. Um, they think they might have harvested dolphin and um, I, I'm sure whatever they could catch. Maybe scallops and, uh, as well, maybe? <laughs> maybe. That's, that's possible. Um, they might have to die for them, but <laughs> that's possible. I'm not sure they would have been great swimmers of being as um, heavy boned and muscular as they were, sure. but uh, it's possible. I guess if you're diving for scallops, that'll help you sink faster. <laughs> and I was just messing with you because that's what your family was into earlier. That's all. <laughs> right. No, that's okay. <laughs> but um Part of that also takes place around a, a real event, and I'm not going to attempt to uh, pronounce the place in Italy where the uh, super eruption happened at that point in history, but that was uh, what caused those blood red skies. So then six is going to pick up from that point then, yeah? Yes. Now, is, is uh, book six titled already? I'm not sure if, if I've seen that or if you have it. Yes. Yes, that's uh, the Dreamer Six, the Outsiders. The Outsiders. Well, cave dwellers, we're going to end that there. I'm sure you enjoyed that first part of my conversation with EA Megs as much as I have, and I know you will enjoy the second part just as much. So tune in next week for the conclusion of our conversation, and make sure you check out the show notes for the links to Megs' social network platforms and the link to her Dreamer Literary Productions homepage 
which is stocked full of awesome content for you to get lost in for hours. Thanks again, cave dwellers, and until next week, I will leave you with a little snippet of what's to come. So let's go on to the next one. So, you know, if six books in that series isn't enough, <laughs> now you're going to start a new series. Is that correct? <laughs> That's correct. Thanks for listening to the Neanderthal Mind podcast. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you love what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review the Neanderthal Mind podcast wherever you download your podcasts. If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, please recommend the Neanderthal Mind to them. Until next week, my fellow cave dwellers, don't forget to leave your cave drawings and comments on our wall at theneanderthalmind.com.